1: Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you spending some time with us to start the week off. A beautiful day here in the Northeast. It was a beautiful weekend. Actually, we were able to have the air conditioners off this weekend. Temperatures are in the 70s. It's just a uh, uh, wonderful time. You don't usually see this kind of weather in August, so uh, we'll take it. That's for sure. Lots to get to this morning. Uh, Obviously, some baseball news with the Red Sox having a disastrous weekend in Tampa. We'll get to that in a minute. But coming up at uh, 9.30, we've got a special guest, uh, Jim Forbes, who was a member of the 1972 U.S. Men's Olympic basketball team, a team that had a gold medal stolen from them uh, by the officials against the Soviet Union, a game they won not once, Not twice, but three times. But regardless, they kept giving the Soviet Union uh, more chances until they finally won the game. It was uh, just awful. But anyway, uh, uh, taped an interview with Jim over the weekend. Uh, He's a school teacher, so he is actually in school down in El Paso, Texas, so he's not able to join us live. But uh, he was gracious enough to come on with me this weekend. And uh, so we will have that interview coming up uh, for you at 930. Hope you can stick around for that. Uh, some Olympic news this morning. Uh, not great news if you're a fan of the U.S. women's soccer team. They lost to Canada 1-0. It was a penalty kick in the 74th minute. Jesse Fleming scored it. Uh, Canada had not beaten the United States, folks, since 2001. This is a big deal. I mean, the United States overall against Canada in their history, 51-4-7. and You know, I mean... Uh, and what made this even tougher for the U.S. was their top goalkeeper, Alyssa Nier, who was the star for the U.S. Uh, in their quarterfinal matchup against the Netherlands, made a couple of huge saves in the penalty shootout to, uh, to help them beat the Netherlands. She got hurt about well, a little less than midway through the first half. Uh, She went down awkwardly. as She went up to get a ball, and uh, the trainers came out and worked on her for like five minutes, and they had to go to the backup goalkeeper. Now, I mean, look, this stuff happens all the time, but that was tough. No question about it. Uh, Adriana Franch comes in, and she ends up giving up the goal on the penalty kick. That's not her fault. I mean, obviously a penalty kick, uh, a tough stop to begin with. But uh, it was tough that Alyssa and I went out. So now the U.S. will play for the bronze medal against the loser of the game between Sweden and Australia. Most likely that will be Australia, um, a team that the U.S. struggled against uh, earlier. But, look, it's the second straight Olympics now that the U.S. has been knocked out of the gold medal match. They got eliminated by Sweden in the quarterfinals. Uh, back in 2016. So at least I'll have a chance for a medal here. Uh, and that gold medal game, or the bronze medal game, excuse me, will be Thursday. The gold medal match will be coming up on Friday. So uh, the U.S. women's soccer team is out. Some positive news from the Olympics. Simone Biles is going to compete in the balance beam competition uh, coming up tomorrow. She had pulled out of all the other individual apparatus Uh competitions and she is going to try at the balance beam. The balance beam is the one where if you have what they're calling the twisties, where you kind of get lost in the air because your mental focus isn't there. It's not as big a deal in the balance beam because you're not doing a lot of, um, uh, twists and turns and, you know, high leaps. It's more of a, uh, A technique thing. I mean, the only time you're really doing a twist sometimes is when you're doing your dismount. Uh, So she is going to to go for it tomorrow. So uh, it'll be nice to see her out there. Uh, Hopefully it goes well. Uh, The U.S. men's basketball team, um, after beating the Czech Republic, is in the knockout rounds. Their quarterfinal matchup will be Tuesday. They will take on Spain uh, in that matchup. Uh, so, uh, looking forward to that as well. It looks like they have been able to uh, turn things around there. So, that's about where we are uh, with the Olympics. Uh, obviously, a tough loss. The Women's game, I thought about getting up for it. It started at 4 o'clock in the morning our time. And my poor wife, Barbara, had to be up to uh, uh, to go to work this morning. She had to open up uh, the store. So, she was leaving for work about 4.15. So, if I felt like it, I could have gotten up. And I said, no, no, we're not doing that. So, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and so if they if if my not watching was the reason that they lost, well, I apologize. Uh, the one thing I did do, I and part of the reason why I didn't get up is I stayed up late last night uh, to watch the Concacaf Gold Cup final. I, and look, I don't, I'm not a big soccer fan. Okay, I've been very upfront about this, but I was fascinated by this because the U.S. was taking on Mexico for the gold medal, or the the you know the gold cup. And uh, I was curious because it was a veteran Mexican team. And this U.S. team that played last night against Mexico was the equivalent of our JV team. Most of the best players for the United States are over in Europe playing for their European teams. And they could not get released to play this. Um, So, you know, the U.S. was an underdog without question. Now, the game was in Vegas. Vegas. It was on U.S. soil, but it was a pro-Mexican crowd. I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, and uh, the U.S. ends up winning it one nothing in extra time. They get or the in overtime they win it in the hundred and seventeenth minute after ninety minutes if it's tied they play two minute overtime periods and in the second overtime period the U.S. wins it. Miles Robinson a header off of a great setup by Kellen Acosta. Uh, who, by the way, is one of just two players in that U.S. starting lineup yesterday that plays when the regular U.S. roster is there. Only two players that are normal members of, of Team USA were there last night. So, I mean, you had guys playing last night for the U.S. that were 19, 20, and 21 years old against grown men, guys that are in their 30s for Mexico, and the U.S. wins at one nothing. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Now, the U.S. men's will have their top teams back. The World Cup qualifying begins on September 2nd. They'll be at El Salvador, and the U.S. will have their uh, regular team back for that. But a great win last night. It is the sixth time, no, seventh time that the U.S. has won the Gold Cup title. It's the first time since 2017. By the way, those seven titles matches Mexico for the most in the 15 tournaments. Canada won, won it once um, back in 2000. But other than that, it has been Mexico, the United States uh, that have won them all. And, and you know, it was just the second time, however, that the Americans have beaten Mexico in the, in the finals. So seven tries in the finals against Mexico, they've only won it twice. So uh, good one last night. Overall, the U.S. men's team has won nine consecutive games, 14 home games in a row, uh, so uh, that was fun to watch last night. I'll tell you what was not fun to watch last night, and that was the Red Sox game. They end up getting swept by the Tampa Bay Rays down in Tampa, and it was brutal. And last night was perhaps the most frustrating game of the three. The Red Sox lose last night 3-2, to two, but they had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. The Red Sox last night, could not get a big hit when they needed it. Red Sox were 1-for-18 when they had men on base. I repeat, 1-for-18 with men on base. They were 0-for-6 with runners in scoring position. Every time they needed a big hit, they couldn't get it. Uh, J.D. Martinez uh, was one of the biggest culprits, and J.D. is in a huge slump. J.D. went one for 14 in the series this weekend. He's five for his last 44 in his last 11 games. Hasn't hit a home run in like 11 or 12 days. I mean, he is scuffling, as they like to say. So that was kind of tough to watch last night. Nick Pavetta pitched pretty well, I thought. You know, you look at his final line and you go, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, Alex core with a bit of a quick hook last night, but he goes four and two-thirds. He gives up just three hits, three runs. He struck out six, walked one. And the big hit was a two-run home run by Nate Lau. You know, I mean, uh, or Brandon Lau, I'm sorry. It's Nate Lowe, Brandon Lau. Uh, Brandon Lau took him out in the third inning. But that was that was the that was really the extent of it last night for him. He was good otherwise, and I think in a regular game, if the Red Sox didn't need the win so badly last night, they might have allowed him to stay in the game. But Alex Cora went to get him because Lau was coming up again. He had already homered against him once. Lau was terrible against lefties, so with two outs in the fifth inning, he goes to Josh Taylor. Taylor comes in, gets Lau out, and uh, we move on. And look, you know. Uh, Hansel Robles made his debut last night for the Red Sox, pitched a scoreless inning. Garrett Wicklock comes on and pitches a couple of these. He gave him three hits, but two scoreless innings, lowers his ERA to 1.21. This kid continues to be amazing. But the other thing that drove me nuts last night, and and this is to take nothing away from Shane McClanahan, who got the start last night for Tampa. Kid throws hard. He's a rookie. Uh, struck out seven. Gave up a run on four hits, struck out seven, walked two. But the Red Sox kept swinging at balls, honest to God, that were up around their scalp. They would have needed a ladder to hit these damn things. You know, you kept watching guys swing at pitches upstairs time after time after time in your life. La- and they said before the game, we need to make this kid throw strikes. Well, he kept throwing high fastballs that weren't strikes, and the Red Sox kept swinging through them. Oh, Drove me nuts, you know. And then uh, you know the other thing that was a little frustrating last night is Matt Whistler comes on, gets to save for Tampa. He did give up a couple of hits, uh, you know. And look, Kike Hernandez has been one of the best hitters on the Red Sox lately. He had a um, a base hit in the uh, the ninth inning off a of Whistler. He went three for five last night. They pinch run for him. Raffy Devers bloops one in there. So now all of a sudden the Red Sox have runners on first and third. J.D.'s up, and J.D. went nothing, 0 for 5. Left six guys on base, struck out twice. I mean, just look, you know, and here's the thing. The Red Sox have relied on guys like Martinez and Bogarts, you know, and, and uh, Raffy Devers. Now Devers did his part. Alex Verdugo still slumping. Thank God for Hunter Renfro hit a home run last night, he threw a guy out at second base. Why do, t- why do guys keep running on Hunter Renfro? When are they going to learn? Nelson Cruz, of all people, got thrown out by Renfro. He hit one down in the corner, and I guess Nelson Cruz forgot who the hell he was and tried to stretch it into a double, and he was thrown out by, by Hunter Renfro. He just continues to, to chuck guys out. But, man, just awful. And now the Red Sox, who went into the series a game and a half up, find themselves a game and a half back in the American League East. And not only that, folks, they're only four games up in the loss column to the New York Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays. They're coming. You know, the Yankees, hot as hell. So are the the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have won four in a row. The Yankees have won three in a row. Yankees feasted on the, the Marlins this weekend. Now they didn't they they got really good pitching. They didn't hit a lot, but they hit enough. But the Red Sox have a day off today and then they go to play the Detroit Tigers. And normally you would say, "Well, thank God we got the Tigers." The Tigers are 6 games under 500 and they're beating people. They just swept the Chicago White Sox not long ago. So there is no guarantee, you know, going into Detroit that this is going to be a sweep for the Red Sox. They, they need it to be. Here's the problem: Garrett Richards is starting the game Tuesday night. Ah! Let me give you some numbers on Garrett Richards. In Garrett Richards' last nine starts, dating back to the first week of June, he has an ERA, ladies and gentlemen, of seven point one nine. It's not a small sample size anymore. Nine starts, 7.19. Martin Perez, his last 10 starts. ERA 6.69. So here's two guys with 19 starts in the last two months, and their combined ERA is about seven. I mean, that is you can't, you cannot continue to do that and win games yet. This is the amazing part of those 19 games with those two idiots pitching. The Red Sox have won 11 of them. But they did it by coming from behind time after time after time, getting clutch hits, and now those those bats have gone silent. And that is an issue. You know, the Red Sox in this last series – with Tampa, we're 3-for-18 with runners in scoring position. That's awful. You can't win games like that. You look at the, Now, you look at it overall, and the Red Sox with runners on second and third are hitting about 260, which is the 10th best in baseball. They're in the upper half of the, uh, of the league. So, you know, this is obviously a funk that they're in now, and they're pressing. And maybe the pressure is getting to them and the the constantly having to make up for crappy pitching performances, including Eduardo Rodriguez, who was supposed to be the ace of this staff with with, uh, Chris Sale out, he's been hideous. You know, he's striking guys out, but he's also getting crushed. Guys are just hammering the ball off of him. So if you're Boston, you know, yeah, Chris Sale's coming. Great. Can't wait. You know, Kyle Schwarber is coming. He's going to start a rehab uh, assignment very soon. They said he's getting close, and he's going to try out and work out at first base, and, you know, there's hope there. But Chris Sale's one guy, and he's coming off a of Tommy John surgery. He just pitched 81, threw 81 pitches in a A game, and, you know, it wasn't sharp, but he was good enough to hit, you know, to to get past A hitting. But we don't know what to expect from him. You're not gonna, you can't expect him to come in off of uh, Tommy John surgery and uh, basically a uh, little over a year off and uh, throw seven innings every time out. You know, more more likely, what's going to happen with Chris Sale is he tries to find his control. It's going to be four or five innings, and he's going to be at eighty or ninety pitches, and they're going to get him out of there. You know, hopefully you're in the game. But if they don't figure out, I mean, Nate Evaldi, I'm not worried about. He'll be fine. But if they can't figure out what's wrong with Erod, and maybe it's, it's shutting him down for a little while, maybe it's shutting him down and put Tanner Houck into that spot, go back to the five-man rotation, you throw Tanner Houck in there, and then maybe you bring up Connor Seabold. They've got to do something. They have got to get Garrett Richards and or Martin Perez out of that rotation. You cannot have three-fifths of your starters have an ERA of seven and expect to contend. You know, look, at the end of the day, Am I concerned? Well, yeah, of course I'm concerned. But this is still a team that I think is pretty good. And you know, let's remember, folks. Everybody said the Red Sox were going to be a 500 team this year. Right now, the Red Sox are 19 games over 500. So while the tendency and the the uh, is to panic, and rightly so, I get it. Don't panic. I'm, I'm trying to take my own advice. And if you had heard me this weekend, you would have said, "Yeah, he's panicking." <laughs> no question. Uh, so, but don't panic. It's going to be fine. Uh, they just got to figure out this pitching thing. Chris Sale is going to make one more, tr- uh, rehab start in AAA. It's going to be against Grant wilkes the Yankees A affiliate, uh, coming up on Wednesday. And then after that, he's coming to the Red Sox and he could appear for the first time against the Tampa Bay Rays on August the 10th. So mark that date on your calendar and, you know, here we go, but buckle up. They have plenty more games against Tampa, and that's the thing to keep your eye on here. There are still, I believe, eight more games against the Tampa Bay Rays. So the team that you are chasing down is a team that you still have to play plenty. And the Red Sox have, you know, can take care of business if they can figure out what to do about the mess that right now is their starting pitching staff. It's 25 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to run our interview with Jim Forbes that we taped over the weekend from the 1972 Olympic basketball team. You're going to want to listen to that. Stick around. You're listening to The Wake-Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake-Up Call, and we are pleased to be joined by Jim Forbes, a member of the 1972 Olympic men's basketball team that participated in the games in Munich. And, uh... Jim thanks thanks for joining us first of all. I know that with the Summer Olympics coming on the members of your team have to be very popular and it's not for a reason you necessarily always want to talk about but I appreciate you coming out for a few minutes with us this morning.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Well, look, let's let's get let's cut right to the chase and and, and talk about what happened and uh, a game that it was You know, I I guess there's no other way to put it. It it was like the officials handed this game to the Russians. You guys were trailing the whole game. You did a great job coming back. Doug Collins with a couple of free throws to get you back in it. And the game basically should have been over, right? But the, the, the coaching staff and the Russians screamed that they should have been able to have a timeout. But the rules said they couldn't call a timeout. And yet the officials stopped the game and let them do it again. Uh, you guys must have been beside yourselves when that happened.
0: Well there's a lot of just basically mass confusion at the at the end of the game uh, as, as noted we, were, we played that game late at night to accommodate the television audience back in the United States uh, So we, we got up early and uh, went through routines and uh, just that anticipation all all day and all night, you know, we're playing the Soviet Union, uh, for the, for the gold medal. And you got to remember, this is 1972. United States is coming out of Vietnam. Um, you know, the U S goal has always been to defeat communism that, you know, on a historical note. So there was a strong, uh, a strong feeling, uh, in, in that Olympic village and, and, and in the Soviet Union, and the United States about, about this particular game. And as I stated earlier, it was played late, uh, late that evening. And, um, in the stakes couldn't have been, couldn't have been higher. You know, you're playing for a gold medal, but there was more to it than that. So the United States, you know, we've, we played them and, um, it was a back and forth game. Uh, it was a game where we trailed, uh, Basically the the entire game, and um, uh, we we're down three. Um, a shot was made, to cut us to one, and then um, the Russians were trying to run the clock out, and we got a steal, and Collins uh, went to the went to the rim and got fouled, and and um, got up and made both free throws. The Russians um, brought the ball in several times, and and on the, and we thought we had won that game uh, several times and and you'll see the premature celebration uh, of the us uh, of our team you know we were we were just uh, beside ourselves because uh, we actually didn't play that great of a game but uh, that's not the issue the issue is uh, we did uh, win this ball game and, and that that that's that stuck in our minds and then the third time around uh, they threw the ball down and uh and I got knocked to the floor, and Kevin Joyce was back there out of the play, and um, uh, and and they scored, and then that was that was a game. So as I said, it was a confusion. Uh, you know, at the end of the ball game, we went to the locker room, and and uh, we um, you know, it just it just popped up. You know, we're not going out on the podium to accept the silver medal, and and to this day, there are detractors who who say, well, we should have accepted the silver medal, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you had, uh, had they, the Russians defeated us and, uh, won that gold medal. And, uh, without that interference, uh, I would, I would have probably stood on the podium and accepted the silver medal, but, but that's not, that's not how it happened. And, you know, and, and it's there for the entire world to see, uh, to make it, make its own judgment. And, uh, we made a, a quick judgment. We made our judgment call that uh, as a group, uh, as a team, we were not going to accept uh, any, um, we weren't going to accept a silver medal when we, when we emphatically knew that we had, uh, had won a a gold medal. And, and, and that just, that's basically part of it. Most of it in a nutshell. When,
1: when did you guys make the decision that you weren't going to accept the medal? Was it, was it immediately that night or did you sleep on it before you made uh, that that's decision? The, 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 I think it was.
0: If I'm not mistaken. It was that night. It was in the locker room. Okay. The decision was made. Yeah. yeah. Was, the Decision was made, and that resolve got stronger and stronger as uh, as the night and day wore on. So,
1: I, I think uh, the, the the thing too that people need to remember, you know, for younger people that might be listening to the show, is that this was a time when the U.S. team was made up of college players. This wasn't a professional team yet. The Soviet union players were all professional players in the league, in their country. So it was really kind of, I guess there's no other way to put it. It was, it was pros against amateurs, but also it was men against boys in a lot of cases. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it wasn't a level playing field to begin with.
0: Well, there's a lot of truth to it, what you said, but, uh, but remember, the United States uh, had not lost uh, a a game in the Olympics, and and so forth. We our average age was right at 20 years. Right, and, uh, the Soviet Union, you know, mid 20s and 26, 27. That, but that, and uh, and and we understood that going in. You know, we we all understood uh, that uh, we had a very very young young team, and uh, and. A young talented team that uh, that had a lot of speed but was built around uh, around defense with coach Iva coach Haskins and coach Bob and, um, and that's what uh, what that's what kept us there's a there's a lot of criticism pointed at uh our coaches you know who aren't aren't here to actually defend themselves about the style that that we played and and so forth but but um when we had, won that uh when we felt we had won that game and celebrating nobody cares about what style you were playing you know you just you just um we we just won and uh, unfortunately we have that distinction of being a team in the fashion and the way the way this played out uh, had we just won that game by two three four points we'd have just been another u.s olympic team that uh, won a gold medal, and you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation <laughs> right now. That's a good point. So, yeah, but but the way the but the, but uh but the way this uh, was done, you know, life isn't always fair, and and this was a definitely a, a situation where we we I felt that life wasn't fair. and and it's tough for me. I'm a high school coach for thirty some odd years, an assistant college coach for three years at Utah. You know, you, you, one of the things we talk about, uh, I have to talk about is, hey, learn how to accept uh, victory gracefully and learn how to accept defeat. Uh, but not accept it, but figure out ways of what you did wrong and uh, what we did wrong, rather, and, and and try to fix it. And sometimes uh, you can uh, play a game and, and look at things and just go, hey, this so other team was just better that night. And that, that's just that's just as simple as that, you know. Right. And, and for a lot of coaches, that that's hard to accept. And so, as a high school coach, I have to I have to teach those those choices and those qualities. And yet, at the same time, I uh, I do I do an interview and I say, "Well, you know, look, we're not accepting the outcome of <laughs> this, of this yeah. game. So, so, so I'm in a catch twenty two position, right? You know." It, because a lot of younger kid my my players will you know I'll talk to them they'll ask me about it and they'll they'll give me that look like wait a minute coach you're telling us that if we get beat bad call or whatever we have to accept it and I said yeah but you <laughs> didn't accept uh, yep. the gold and I have to say well maybe this was a yeah. little bit different
1: yeah that's a classic case of uh, do do, <laughs> do what I say not as I do. Um, but you also, exactly. but but in your, you know, th- the thing was is that this is a little bit different because there were rule questions, th- there was officiating questions. Y- your leading scorer had been ejected from the game. Dwight Jones got ejected, uh, and and didn't Jim Brewer get hurt in that game as well? I mean, you look yeah. at all those things, and and then the, the officiating at the end of the game, and I guess you can legitimately say this isn't a case of this was necessarily a team that was better than we were.
0: Oh yeah. Well, well, we look at it, you know, Jim uh, had, had gotten, gotten hit in the head. I think he suffered a, a, a concussion. I'm not 100% sure about that. But Dwight, they brought in a guy, and, and what was funny, the two guys just bumped each other and looked at each other the wrong way, and uh, didn't even use harsh language, and, and they were gone. Right. You know, they, they we lost our starting our starting post, and um, and, and our starting uh, power forward. So, but that, you know, those are, those are things that happened, you know, like if they'd have gotten hurt, injured during that game, the same thing uh, would have would have applied. So we did lose those, those two. And, but we, we, we kept going and kept going and kept going. And, and we got down six or eight and we just kept plodding away. And, and we sped the pace up late in the game and, uh, and we able to, to, to catch these guys. And, um, and, 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 and in my view, to catch him and, and beat him. it doesn't matter if it's by one or, or by 20. You know, I just tell my guys I said listen uh whether it's one whether it's 20 if you're on the the, the one point uh edge it's a big right. You know, you'll take you'll take a victory by one, you'll take one by 10, you'll take one by 20.
1: Yep. Um so, well so get, uh, you know despite everything that went on, obviously there are there are men and women boys and girls all across this country that would give anything to be an Olympian. You can say I was an olympian did did the experience and the final outcome of this change your view on the Olympics as a whole or being an Olympian? No no
0: no I did not you know I uh, it's um for those who compete who have competed in past olympics and those who are going to compete in future olympics and and those who are competing now um, it is a it, it is it is something that um that you can um, hang, hang your hat on and something that no one's going to be able to to take away from you uh, for the rest of your
1: life the uh, the other thing that we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up uh, the other big event that happened in the nineteen seventy two Olympics, of course, was the uh, terrorist attack by the Palestinian group uh, Black September that uh, took hostages in the Olympic Village. Now, am I correct that when this whole thing went down, your team was actually not that far away from where it where it happened?
0: We really, we we really won, weren't. The United States uh, team wasn't wasn't that. That far away from them. As a matter of fact, when uh, people got up that morning, walking by the Olympic Village, you know, there's a surreal scene where people are in the Olympic Village walking, whether they're going to breakfast or whatever, and there's the uh, one of the terrace on the uh, balcony Ooh. Uh, with his face his mask, and, and and you just go, you, you went. <laughs> it's Interesting. And a lot of times um, uh, people around the world probably had a better understanding and view for a little while of what was actually taking place than the athletes themselves and the officials in the Olympic belts themselves, because obviously it was a very, very tense and a tough, tough situation. And historically you can look back on it and and. The what ifs what if this had been happened what if this had been done and what if that had been done um it's just um, you know it was just a sad situation and and they got in you know we find out later that the the terrorists actually got into the village dressed as athletes and people pulled them over the wall it was security was very very was lax at the 1972 olympics uh, the germans obviously didn't want to make the same mistakes that they made in 1936 right uh, in, in berlin and here we are, 36 years later. You know, they they're hosting the the Munich Games, and and the atmosphere was 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 very was very relaxed, and and uh, and I think and obviously that allowed the um, the terrorists easier access, and and they knew exactly where to go, and 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 it's a shame that the, you know it was just it was just a sad state of affairs, and then to have them get to the airport and and uh, the, the the so-called ambush and uh, unfortunately the some of the terrorists were able to throw hand grenades into the um, helicopters and shoot up the uh the athletes and and, and kill them uh the jewish athletes it was uh, just it was, was a tragedy that uh you know too many words can't really describe too much of it it was just it was just horrible and um uh, and we we found out fairly uh, soon what what had happened. Initially, they had said that they'd all been been rescued, and uh, people were like, oh, "That's that's great great news." And right. then, and then um, we find out moments later that 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 wasn't
1: the case. It must have it must have shaken everybody up. How was was there talk? I mean, of actually not finishing the Olympics? Do you, I mean? Did they come close to saying, "You know, we're not we're not going to finish this"? A lot of people
0: did not want to. And I know on our our team, there was some, several guys uh, that uh, felt that um, man, maybe we should we should cancel the Olympics and cancel the Olympics. But then there were others who felt that uh, you know, maybe um, we should continue and, and go on with the games and and not let them have that victory. But, um they but they had already the damage had already been done, right and uh, and they had a one- day memorial and and so forth. Yeah, but uh, but uh, but that that damage had, had had already been done by
1: the uh, by the terrorists. So to get back to basketball a little bit, back to the Olympics, and of course, you know, after 1972, the, the United States kind of reasserted itself and, and continued to to have success in the Olympics. Until 88, there was another stumble. And then finally, the United States made the decision to go and start using professional athletes, the so-called dream team. How did you – did you have any feelings on that one way or the other that the games had changed and it was no longer about the, the college kids? It was more about the pros. Did that bother you at all? No, 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 it didn't. I, you know, I was pretty happy about it. I was like, you know
0: what? Um, about time? So fight, <laughs> fight fire with fire. Right. As I said, uh, um, our Olympians had been playing, but once again, the Europeans, uh, the rest of the world had started to catch up and had been catching up slowly, but surely you could see it coming. And um, in 72 Gave you a hint, and then '88, um, you know, it really opened uh, a lot of people's eyes. Uh, I think that was in Seoul, right? Yes. Yeah, you know, it it opened up a lot of people's eyes. It's like, hey, we need to we need to do this, uh, and uh, and I have no problem with I had no problem with the United States uh, asserting its dominance uh, with, uh, with Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, and, and that crew. Uh, that, that, dream, that dream team.
1: Uh, even now, though, we see the, how much the world has caught up. I mean, look at the struggles that the U.S. team had this year in their exhibitions. They lose their opening uh, game at the Olympics this year. Now they've bounced back, and it uh, looks like they've got things going well after beating the Czech Republic. But um, it's got to be difficult. A, let's talk about it from a coach standpoint. It's got to be kind of like the first day of high school practice when you got a bunch of new kids in there that you don't know and saying, okay, we're going to start playing games in a week. Uh, it's kind of hard. You know, I don't care who your coach is, and we all know Coach Popovich is a great coach, but I don't care who you are. It's tough to get all those guys to gel as quickly. And, and do you think too much was made of the early losses by this team in the exhibitions?
0: I, I, I think so. I, I really do. I, I, I think that the, they didn't have all the pieces in place and and now they do and evidently you know against iran coach popovich made a couple of adjustments and and so forth and just tinkering with some things and and uh, hopefully i think they write the ship and, and win the gold medal you know? so uh, because they're uh, they're they're actually in my view built to play in the the olympic style game you know the international style game I, I really do got the shooters and uh the bigs can step out uh, and so forth but as i said uh the um the rest of the world you know the game is so international and the players are are coming from all over the world to play in the united states uh it's it, it won't be an easy walk as, as they found out but uh, but, but I think they're going to, I hope they they take this gold you know, so, solidly, you know, just leave no doubt. And even if it's a one, they'll take it, you know.
1: Absolutely. Remember the um, guys, remember,
0: remember a couple of guys were playing uh, in NBA Finals, Holiday and uh, Booker, and NA, they had to jet out to. to to Japan to, to go play, so they were they were still missing pieces. The NBA Finals were going on, and yet players on that team.
1: Yeah, well, and um, and, and you still and you don't necessarily have all you, you don't necessarily have all the best players. I mean, you know, I mean you, we don't want to get carried away with this, but obviously LeBron James isn't there. There's a bunch of guys that didn't go. Uh, you got you guys kind of faced the same thing in 1972, right? Bill Walton could have been a part of that team, and he chose. Uh, not to go. So, I mean, I guess it's something that every U S Olympic team faces. You're not necessarily going to get everybody, uh, that you want with the exception of that dream team, you're probably never going to get everybody that you want on the team.
0: Yeah. Oh, I remember the 19th and the dream team. Uh, a lot of people were upset that, um, um, Isaiah Thomas wasn't on.
1: There. Oh yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, who does who, who does whose place does he take? So it's it's kind of a catch twenty two. You, as I said, okay, we got twelve members, and I said uh, unless you expand it to fifteen, and and then, you, you, regard even with twelve, uh, there's only so many minutes.
1: There's that... only and there's only one. You only play with one ball.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so many one ball and only so many minutes right. that you can uh, that you can compete. Yeah, you know, so it, it it's a it's a juggling act, and uh, you know, and, and Coach Popovich, uh, you know, he, he's a great great coach. He, he he'll figure out some things. He he's getting. He, I think he's gotten some undue criticism, you know, and still forth. Um, so forth.
1: So you come back from the Olympics, and uh, mm-hmm. you graduate from UTEP. And uh, I should let folks know that uh, you uh, went to high school in El Paso. You have stayed at home, basically. I know you were born in Alabama, but you have stayed in El Paso most of your life. So you, yeah. you, you coached. Yes, uh, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. I'm an, I'm an Army brat. Um, when we got to El Paso, my stepfather was stationed and did two tours of, I think, Vietnam. So we we ended up staying in uh, in El Paso, and I went to, to Bel High School. was recruited by UTEP, and I, I went to UTEP to play basketball. And and uh, and and the decision to go to UTEP probably gave me the opportunities to compete in the Olympic Games.
1: Now, how so? Well,
0: if you go to there was here's where it comes into play. Ivo is is the coach. Coach Haskins actually played for Coach Iowa.
1: Oh, he, that's uh, right. He did. I forgot about that. He yeah. did.
0: And and one of the other factors that people understand, I was not one of the original 12. Two guys, one left and another got hurt, and I got called in, you know, about a, a few weeks afterwards, you know. And so a lot of people are thinking, well, Coach Haskins is the uh, is the assistant coach. Well, Forbes is going to make the, the original 12, 12 members. I did not. I had a good camp, but uh, – but he just told me to stay in condition. And, and, sure enough, um, I got a call and I met the team in DC and so forth. Um,
1: so you stay, after you graduate, you end up going back there as an assistant coach for a few years. What made you decide to leave college coaching and go, uh, start coaching in the high school ranks?
0: Well, I'll be honest with you. I really, really have always enjoyed the, the high school kids, the high school game. Um, um, nothing, nothing against the college game. The college game is, is great, but, um, you know, I, I just like teaching, uh, more at the, uh, at the high school level. I had three, three great years as an assistant coach at UTEP. We brought in great players. We, we had some really, really good teams. And I think one year we got as high as number three in the, in the nation with our, uh, with our ball club. And, um, but i just always liked uh i always liked the, the high school game and, and and i enjoy and i enjoy coaching high school kids now you know in this day and age now with um social media and <laughs> all the things yeah. it, uh, it it seems like you're you're right back where you're right back at the other the other level because everybody uh everyone is on social media and they're, and they're getting themselves in trouble
1: with it right. at, at times. Yeah, well, and that's at the uh, high school and college level. And, you know, my years in, in uh, working in college athletics, that's something, you know, towards the end of my career, we had to monitor because, you know, to make sure these kids weren't doing something, you know, idiotic. And, mm-hmm. and you you find yourself being more of a babysitter sometimes, I guess, than a coach, just trying to do, worry about the stuff off the court as opposed to on the court, no?
0: Yes. Um, you yeah, know, nowadays, back in the, old old days you worried about um just eligibility right. and making sure kids were coming to practice now you gotta worry about uh, what he or she said on on social media <laughs> and you've been into trouble and and so you, you know your conversation the conversation has changed uh dramatically over the last 20 plus years uh, when you deal with uh, Dealing with the, with high school kids now,
1: you know, and for folks that aren't familiar, look, everybody talks about Texas football. That football is king in Texas, but make no mistake, uh, high school basketball in the state of Texas is very, very competitive. And uh, Jim, I, you know, I don't want to brag on you too much, but I mean, this, you've won over six hundred games uh, in high school. That's no mean feat uh, when you're uh, when you're playing against some pretty good competition out there in Texas.
0: Well, yeah, one of the the myths uh Texas is that it, it's 100%
1: football. And, right,
0: in the minds of a lot of people, it is 100% football. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but, Texas is a state, and and again, here, uh, Texas will have, because it is a large state, will have more D1 basketball players than any state in the union. That they, that they, it happens that way, and and the kids go all over. We Texas had kids sign it. Uh, Kentucky and uh, Duke everywhere. You know they they uh, you know in the in the two metroplexes that really really stand out is the Dallas Metro and the and the Houston metroplex. I mean they're they're large. Dallas includes Dallas Fort Worth and all the suburbs surrounding uh, that area. And and uh, and Houston is just just huge. You know and and uh, and, and they're just just tons of players and we, in El Paso we're kind of isolated we're closer to Mexico and New Mexico we right. are to most everything in uh in in Texas so our kids uh have to go to clinics uh we have what we call the great American shootouts uh and and they, they're usually in Dallas San Antonio Houston area so we have to travel the 500 600 miles to to get to those and oftentimes, like with my team, we will we will travel to um, to Dallas and Houston um, by vans, bus, or plane to compete in preseason in, in tournaments—not preseason right. tournament, but, but tournaments during the, the beginning of the year, school year, to try and, and try and get some experience. And don't get me wrong, El Paso basketball is, is pretty good, but but um, you know when you look at it, when you look at a city of six hundred fifty thousand. And uh, you've got suburbs uh, in uh, Dallas and Houston that are almost the same size as you are. So, <laughs> so you, <laughs> not quite, not quite as big, but almost the same size. You 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 just you, you have to go where, where the where more people are. And then West Texas is is, uh, is is different. You know, you got Amarillo High School, uh, Amarillo and that area, and Abilene, Odessa. In West Texas is is more sparsely populated than uh, than say the the three metroplexes. I forgot you know San Antonio metroplex as well, and then uh, then the Rio Grande Valley.
1: Well, your your brother Steve brags on you a lot, and he says one of the things that he really admires is the fact that you take your teams to these big cities to these tournaments because you want them to experience the best competition. You're not going to these things necessarily thinking you're going to win them. You know you're going to have your hands full, but you think that that is uh, the way to better prepare your team. Is that something you learned uh, in your high school days, or is it something you learned from Coach Haskins at UTEP? What, what kind of drove you to start doing that?
0: Well, it's just something you know. I, I looked at and I said, in order for us to get better, you 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 have to go play against the the best uh, the best competition, and and they're not knocking El Paso, but the fact of the matter is, the the, the those metroplexes are huge, and especially Dallas Fort Worth, because Texas is broken up into region one, region two, region three, region four, and region one, it includes all of Fort Worth and the Fort Worth metroplexes and Mansfield, which which has which is tremendous talent as well. And then the Amarillo area. So you go where your competition is going to be in the, the playoffs. Mm-hmm. In El Paso, we, we, we all see each other. And uh, that familiarity. So you, you want to go to the unfamiliar, you want to you want to go and uh, put your kids in a in a surrounding in an atmosphere where they're not as comfortable they're not as comfortable where they have to get up and, uh, and go compete against a team that that's got some six, seven, six, eights, uh, some D one, uh, D one athletes. And then you'll play another team like that and another team like that. And, uh, and you, you, sometimes you sit there, you go one win, three losses, you go two and two, uh, one year, two years ago, before COVID we ran, the dallas metro tournament, one of the tournaments and we got to the finals and lost uh so in and in the houston tournament uh we we ran a tournament uh, we got to the semifinals and we we lost to a team uh, by about 13 it was number two in the, the 6a level and we're a 5a level you know you had 6a 5a 4a mm-hmm. and it's based based on on student population so
1: well, I, uh, I am, I am uh, impressed that uh, you have continued uh, to stay in the game of basketball. I'm sure that the uh, the young men out there have been able to benefit from your Olympic experience, uh, despite this "do as I say, not as I do" thing. Uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you spending some time. I know it's got to be difficult for you every four years to have people try to uh, uh, drag you, drag this up, and and bring back some. Some good memories, I guess, but unfortunately a a bad ending. So I really appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Well, I
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: That was Jim Forbes here on Sports Country Radio. I I really, again, I can't uh, thank him enough. And he he told me that he doesn't always do these interviews anymore. Um, uh, Fortunately, the fact that uh, uh, I know his – uh, his sister-in-law, Laura, and uh, his brother, Steve, uh, helped a lot. So uh, I appreciate him spending some time with us this morning. Certainly uh, uh, a great perspective uh, from Jim Forbes as uh, we get ready for the men's basketball team to head into the medal round uh, starting tomorrow against Spain. That's going to do it for us here this morning. No show tomorrow. Uh, we will be back on Wednesday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. So I hope you have a great day today, a great Tuesday. We'll see you Wednesday morning. We leave you this morning with some music from Linda Ronstadt. Uh, silver threads and golden needles have a great day you've been listening to the wake-up call on sports country